I have a Baptist pastor friend in Richmond, Virginia, who posted a question to Facebook earlier this week. What are some of the things that push people out of polite society? He added in his post, for example, the man who gets fired from his high-profile job and finds no one will return his phone call, or the woman who said, whose cancer diagnosis makes it hard for people to know what to say, so they begin avoiding her. Things that push people out of polite society. Here are some of what people said on his feed, and I only chose options that were said at least multiple times. Divorce. That was said more than any other. Grief. Becoming a widow. Losing a child. Drug addiction. Abuse. Having a disability or disfigurement from an accident, being lower class or in poverty, liking Trump, extend, having an extended illness, finding out the person you're talking to is a preacher. <laughs> Which, I don't know who's getting distanced from polite company in that moment, but I promise when they find out, some kind of distance happens. Getting old, being gay, a child with behavioral problems, when a family member commits suicide, gender transitioning, being a felon, when people pleasers set boundaries, stepping back from a promising career to focus on caregiving. You know what struck me most about this list? Within five hours of this question being posted, this pastor had 58 responses. And many of them were not just the line I read you. It was another paragraph or two of, of, of some kind of heartbreak or pain that was being shared about what it felt like to no longer be in whatever that once looked like. Which makes it clear to me that all of us have deeply felt answers to that question of what it means to be pushed outside of polite society. We ourselves may know it acutely. We may see it around us. We, perhaps we've done some of the pushing for good reason. I'll add, I know why my pastor friend asked that question. He and I and a whole lot of people are looking at Luke 19 this Sunday. It's the lectionary passage. It's about a story you heard who is not by, about a guy in our story who's not at all liked by polite society. Zacchaeus, right? A chief tax collector and rich. You heard in our moment with the children, tax collectors didn't have a great reputation, skimming off the top of what they collect and already oppressive tax they collect for the Roman Empire. Here's a chief tax collector. He's in charge of yet other tax collectors. He's really embedded in this system of skimming. And he's a Jewish man doing this way up high in the Gentile Roman system. Zacchaeus, have you forgotten who you are? Are you really going to throw away your soul to get rich and play nice with evil, with them, with that? Zacchaeus, he does embarrass himself in this passage as a leader of note and rich and all the rest. And he climbs, you heard a tree. We read it's a sycamore tree, specifically in that region. It would have been a sycamore fig tree. And interestingly, for thousands of years, Jewish rabbis, when describing uh, the way Adam and Eve hid from God in their shame, 
They talked about Adam and Eve hiding behind sycamore fig leaves. Zacchaeus may very well be aware of his reason for shame, or maybe he's not aware of the irony of involved in the tree he's climbing in a sense at once both hiding from and seeking Jesus. Either way, when Jesus came to him, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come on down for today. I must go to your house. And so Zacchaeus hurried down, happy to welcome Jesus. It's all good news. It's all kind of amazing. Pushed out a polite society. Okay, going to visit him. But of course, here's the other side of that. A lot of people don't like the good news. I mean, we ourselves know there are certain people in our family, our lives, our world, our political map. And look, given their compromises, given what they're all about, what they've done, what they've said, no one should share table with them. All who saw what Jesus was doing, they began to grumble and said, he's gone to be a guest of one who's a sinner. And I get it. I look, honestly, I don't know always what to do with it. I would kind of prefer Jesus was, was someone who ate with children, people who were ill, people who were differently abled, people who are not perfect but have some shared values, people who are generally at some level sympathetic or another. But, 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 but the Jesus who takes table with, with him, her, them, Zacchaeus. You know, one of the few things that ever slows me on this point is an insight from the 20th century theologian and author Howard Thurman. And, and one, he shared this particular insight frequently, but one time shared it by way of a, a little story. He talked about how he was teaching a summer conference at a, a university setting, and all those teaching with him that, that summer were in the dorms. They lived there. And on that first evening, someone knocks on Thurman's door, and this guy says, look, I'm rooming with my good friend down the way, but he is snoring terribly. You've got an extra bed. Could I? Thurman says, sure, sure. So this man, he lays down to sleep, and, and an hour in, he begins snoring so excruciatingly loud that the, the Thurman has to leave the room himself. He just goes to the common area and commits to himself, I'm going to sleep in the common area. I'm going to wake up extra early, tiptoe back into my room so the man's not embarrassed, never knows that I even left. Thurman sleeps a bit too long, and the man comes along into the common room and goes, oh my. Do I snore? <laughs> For Thurman, it was this small story that pointed out this insight. Every judgment of another is self-judgment. Every measuring of another is self-measuring. Every condemnation of another that comes out of the mouth is condemnation. We turn back on ourselves. His point is this. Is it possible that some of the things we most decry in him or her or them, they may be somehow, somewhere, some way within us. And we can't stand that either. Is there anything, any possibility that some of the pointing that goes on in this direction is a way to avoid this direction? Every judgment of another is self 
judgment. And Lamont, the author, adds this layer to our reflection. You know, the surest way you've created God in your own image is that God hates all the same people that you do. Jesus wants to eat with compromising, betraying Zacchaeus. And him, and her, and them, and us. Does the body of Jesus want the same? Well, Zacchaeus, in this moment, with Jesus in the house, he says, Lord, look, half my possessions I will give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone, I'll pay them four times back. You saw the gold being distributed back out in the children's moment. It's a stunning level of generosity, of letting go, of, of giving to the poor. And I think we rightly wonder, my goodness, what did Jesus say? What did he pray? When Jesus comes into your house, I mean, what is the thing that he starts to do that you would have someone so wealthy, so all God open himself up so generously, so freely, so. And Luke says nothing about the visit. And I, and I think honestly, that's the point. It's the basic fact of Jesus coming into the house of Zacchaeus that changes everything. The basic fact of this embrace amid all the reasons to be despised, overlooked, and outside of polite company. The basic fact of being with him, that's the miracle unto itself. When you were in that space, that moment, that season, outside of polite company, who was it that reached out? And did not that stir an opening? Grace is the church word we use. It always opens people, always changes people, always means good news for those who get overlooked, especially the poor. In fact, the bottom line is this. One way you can be sure Jesus has shown up and invited himself into the house of an individual or a people, they're opening more and more of themselves. Their gifts, their energy, their life, their resources, always in the direction of others who are getting overlooked because that's just the direction of Jesus' grace as per today's story. This congregation's work with our many homebound members, with the Azizi refugee family, our Stephen ministers who work one-on-one -on -one with care and love, our ministry with school children with not enough school supplies, our ministry with the homeless population of, of Georgetown, with, with, with youth uh, who aren't always sure how they fit in and with this world, all of it is a sign that Jesus himself has, has invited himself in. And, and grace is then doing what grace does. Is it any wonder our story ends with Jesus declaring that salvation has come to this house? Salvation, a word the Hebrew roots have to do with enlarging the space. The enlarging of space has come to this house, these hearts, these resources, this table. You know, the confirmation class, they met with some of our elders from the session this last Wednesday. That's when they were formally voted upon to receive uh, membership. And one elder during that discussion with them asked, what was the most fun thing you did during your confirmation class? And well, they talked about the food. 
They talked about reenacting the parable of the prodigal son where Hendricks played the father and he ran to his prodigal daughter Vivian after she'd made so many mistakes. But for some unknown reason, he ran past Vivian. <laughs> but, but, but made a U-turn and, and gave that prodigal father a hug. And they, they remembered how Jeremy Bailey played an all-too-believable fatted calf <laughs> who is killed to celebrate the prodigal's return. They also mentioned this game that we played outside on, on the playground. And, and one night I told them they could choose. They could go and, and get onto the second floor of the playground, kind of climb on top of it, and live their lives as second floor playground people. The rule about the second floor is you can do whatever you want. Fortnite, they cried. I said, or, or you can choose the first floor of the playground, kind of go underneath it a little bit, right? That's first floor playground, and if you live your life there, you serve those around you. I said, go ahead and pick. Some, some did some second floor living, some did some first floor living. We talked about what the difference of the dynamics were in these little spaces. We talked about Jesus who came from the second floor of heaven and descended from earth and to earth that, that he might serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that he might open space, that all might know life and life eternal in, in the many rooms of God's house. What we talked about really was coming down from the tree, coming down from on high, coming down from our plans, coming down from our hiding, coming down from our seeing the world with the good here and the bad here, coming down. And it looks small, not promising when you have a view from above, but what you find is you cannot predict grace. And grace always expands. Us and them and the table in the sense that there's far more going on down here than we could have ever asked for or imagined. May we know a fresh embrace of that grace calling us down, coming into our home. And may we be then first floor people who show up with love for all the wrong people and make clear just how wide and generous a thing this really is. Amen.